G'day. Welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling the stories of women living across rural and remote Australia. I'm Em Herbert, your host for today. From a childhood spent camp drafting and mustering on the family's 19,000-acre station outside Queensland's Glen Morgan, to a life under lights, co-captaining Australia's women's rugby sevens team, the Pearls, Demi Hayes is living proof that geographical isolation doesn't beat talent and hard work. And while she now lives a long way from the beef property she grew up on, the 25-year-old has taken many lessons with her from paddock to the pitch, including the leadership style she learned in the cattle yards, which will see her take her team to the 2024 Paris Olympics. Demi, you've had a bit of a rough run recently with injuries. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened and, and what the last 12 weeks have been for you? I had kind of started the year off playing really well and um, we had a home tournament in Sydney. And then unfortunately after that, I kind of had a an MRI on my back because it, I'd had a fair bit of pain there um, kind of recently and I found out I had a stretch fracture in my lower back um, on my right side. So um, the last 18, 20 weeks have been pretty slow and steady for me, but it's also meant that I've been able to spend a lot of time at home just, I guess, rejuvenating and getting my mental and physical side all rested up. Um, and the, it's the Olympic year or Olympic season, so I'm kind of all rested, ready for that to go. How do you take injuries? Because I suppose it is inevitable as a, a professional athlete, but also it's it's such a, a career crusher. I mean, how do you take them and what do you, what's your philosophy? Yeah, I think, um, I guess when I first found out the the scan results, I was very happy that I could play in both Hamilton and Sydney, but also knowing that I had still had three more tournaments for the season and going to an Olympic year, it was kind of a bit of a, a bit of a, I guess a big downer. Um, but I think, as you said, it's a bit, it's inevitable in our career. And I've had, I've had 12 months out because of ankle injuries in the past and stress fractures in other areas. So um, I think, you know, I'm in a seven and a half year career now where I'm pretty used to being able to handle it. I think the first week's probably pretty rough, but I really lean on my family and my friends and my partner a lot um, to kind of get myself through that. And then I think mentally you just kind of twist it around in, what are the positives out of this and, you know, how much, how I can make myself better off the field before I, I can get back on the field. So I think that's probably the path I went down um, before returning to training and the, and the squad. Is exercise, I assume it would be a big part of your mental health. I mean, what do you do to get those endorphins when you can't, you know, get the cardio in? Um, I actually could not do anything. I was kind of a bit couch ridden for probably four or five weeks just to heal the bone in my back. Um, so I was just going to the park with my dog, as I said, going home for a little while, spending a lot of time with mum and dad. Um, I love just time sitting with the horses, even if I can't get on. So I think I tried to recover in a bit of a different way than just using the sporting endorphins, if that makes sense, just because I genuinely couldn't couldn't get that aspect. Mm. Do you work with a sports psychologist and how important is the mental aspect in in rugby sevens and, and for you? Yeah, massively. I've been through a few sports psychologists throughout my career. Um, I found I really like talking to men. I just feel like they're, especially sporting, it's a bit rough. Rugby especially, it's a bit rough. They kind of understand it a bit more and it's so helpful. I think I encourage um, people not in the sporting industry to do it as well and Um, It's always helped me, you know, one day I'll come to him with, you know, this thing about rugby and then I'll come to him about an off-field situation that, you know, I'm struggling with or I'm stressed about or whatnot. And they're um, always so helpful and I guess gives me triggers to on how to handle that off-field. And we have a big um, 
I guess saying if you're good off field, you're, you're going to be great on field. So I try and get that side of my mental space really, really good. And I, yeah, I talk to my psychologist nearly once a week. Um, even if it's about nothing, it's just a bit of a chat, um, bit of a laugh, kind of mm. getting everything off my chest so I can refresh for the next week. What are some of the techniques? Because, you know, there has been a lot of talk around Ben Crow, for example, that amazing Australian mindset coach and, and how he transformed, transformed Ash Barty's game. Um, you, what are some of the techniques that he has given you that helps you to be your best on the pitch? Um, I'm a, quite an anxious person. I, I think I try and control everything in my life. So um, my techniques are very much just control the controllables in everyday life. So if something's happening at home with mum and dad, I've kind of got to stop my feet and do my breathing and um, do little like three things I can see, three things I can smell, three things I can touch to make sure I'm in the moment. I'm on the field right now. I'm training. I've got 24 girls around me, five coaches knowing that I'm here. I'm in the moment. And I'm executing what I'm doing now rather than floating off and going, oh, this is stressful. Oh, this is happening tomorrow. So that's been one of my big things. And then I guess in my off time, just focusing on slowing my breathing down, having that relaxation kind of mindfulness time to myself to make sure, again, that I'm here. I'm in Sydney. I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I've got a goal at the end of it and just settling things down rather than focusing on every little thing and like the big picture, I guess. Because, mm, uh, you know, in your sport, you would be so much in this that sympathetic fight or flight nervous system where you're going out and going hard. So how do you bring yourself back into that mindfulness and, and I guess that meditative state? Um, I'm still not very good at it, to be honest. It takes a lot of practice. And I think they are probably the biggest things I've been speaking to my psychologist about every week is just coming back and how I'm handling that. Um, and in times where it's, I guess, stressful on the field or you make a mistake and you're, you're flying and you're like stressing, I think I'm still focusing on how to bring it back. And as you said, our game's so fast and training's fast. You don't get a moment to, oh, Demi, just go sort yourself out really quickly and come back, you know? So I think um, I haven't got a down pat at all, um, but it's still, as I said, just stomping my feet, scrunching my fists and being like, no, I'm here. I made a mistake. It's all good. I'll move on. I've got the next one. Kind of just like a bit of self-talk as well to kind of get over that and move on um, in those really, really fast situations. Because mm, coming into an Olympic season, I suppose the, the stakes are relatively high and and a mistake can have serious consequences for the team. Is that something that you carry on your shoulders and, and have had to work on letting go of, or is the team quite good at talking people down once they've, um, you know, if they have made a mistake? Um, I think at training, if if it's consecutive, it's kind of you'll get a word and, you know, probably our, our captains and people will speak to you or your coach will pull you aside and kind of see what's going on. But uh, because it's so fast in our training, you have a goal and you need to execute and things like that. It's not necessarily – um, you're not necessarily being able to put the pressure on yourself. You've got to be able to just flip it around and go, nope, let's go again. And I think this season specifically after um, doing quite bad at, at the Tokyo Olympics um, where we really underperformed, this is really important for us. And we've only just recently got a sports psych where they uh, where he's able to talk to everyone in the group and talk specifically about performance goals and things like that. So I think that'll really help us have a goal of not trying to put too much pressure on ourselves. And if we do make a mistake, you kind of get over it. Everyone's good. Everyone's on the same page. We're good to go kind of thing. Mm. Uh, you were, we were speaking just previously about, you know, you're doing a bit of rehab, um, spending some time at home on the property. So can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and, and what that place means to you? Yeah. So we, um, we, I, can't really remember too much, but we grew up in the Northern Territory with my brother and sister. Um, 
on a couple of stations where mum and dad kind of worked. And I um, I'm so, I feel so blessed to be able to have done that. I always say to mum and dad, I'd love to go back to Donna's Hill and see what it looks like, see if I remember. It looks like what I remember. And um, I guess that's where our family started. You know, I remember my grandparents and my cousins and everyone visiting us up there. Even though I think we left when I was five, it's such a pinnacle part of my um, country lifestyle, I think. Um, and then we were lucky enough to move to Glen Morgan and we lived there for over 18 years or something. And that's where I grew up um, going to school, you know, creating new friends. And um, I think the biggest part I remember is often waking up, probably going to muster a paddock or something with mum and dad coming home, going straight to school, coming back, getting on our horses bareback and dad's being like, Oh, come on, run out, go get some more cows in. Um, so we'd all, all of us three kids would go and do that and come back. So the days are massive and they're very, um, very different to what, a, I guess, a person in Sydney's life would live where they're coming home, I don't know, watching TV all afternoon or something. So I really cherish those moments. And horses were a, an integral part of your childhood, weren't they? Yeah, completely. Um, I can't even, I think there's a photo of me when I was just a baby on my first horse. And from then on, I think I kind of fell in love with them. Um, even now I struggled moving straight to Sydney when I was 18, I really struggled not having, um, a horse here. So I ended up through a friend of a friend, I found someone who owned a horse not too far from me and I'd just go sit and visit it once a week, nearly just to kind of get my farming or country lifestyle and just the smell of horses really, I guess, calm me. It's really therapeutic for me. So I, um, I really, really miss that. Um, and I'd love to go back one day and kind of live permanently on the country. And drafting is a big part of your family fabric so is that something that you would do and and like what are your memories of going drafting as a kid yeah I think um it was an every weekend kind of thing you know you were so excited a Friday afternoon to be picked up in the truck and caravan by mum and dad and then you know you go see all your friends at the camp drafts and go in the junior or juvenile and things like that so um that was one of the more fun I guess times of our weekends and when there wasn't any camp drafts it was a little bit disappointing that we we didn't get to do it anymore so um I think I would have camp drafted maybe four times in the last seven years living here um so it's definitely something I miss and I think it's just such a family orientated sport or, or you know you go and see your friends and family and it's so it's so lovely at those camp drafts so I think um, even when I, I think I went to one near Scone the other day um, and I couldn't ride, but it was just nice to see those people and go to the bar at night and just the relaxed feel of um, just country people and horses. And um, I guess that it, the fact that it's so competitive, but it's also so fun as well. I definitely miss that. So it's definitely something um, I'd love to do when I finish my career. Uh, so it will, it, also when you're, you're really isolated, I mean, those things, they bring community together. And so they're such a, a really important part of the social calendar for a lot of, of country people. Uh, well, how long or how long do you envisage your career will be? And what do you think is after that? Um, it's kind of a tricky one, to be honest. So we've got the Olympic near, year next year in Paris. And I think, um, my my long-term goals would probably be being able to get to 2026, which is another Com, Com Games World Cup. Um, and that'll mean two Olympics for me and three Com Games World Cup over a 10-year career. So um, to me, that'd be pretty amazing if I could achieve those goals um, post-2026. And recently, my partner and I just bought a little property outside of Scone. So we're running just like a horse adjustment and we own some cows on that. So I think ideally um, my partner's a, a Sydney boy, so that obviously makes it a little bit harder, but he does love the country. He loves getting out to mum and dad's and things like that. So ideally I'd come home and get camp drafting again and start our 
not a not a business like mum and dad's where it's full on all the time with cattle and whatnot, but definitely an aspect of what I grew up with and I'd love my kids to do the same. So would you like to move to Scone permanently or would you commute between the two? Um, I think ideally commute between the two, especially with my um, my partner studies or is um, working in construction management and I'm studying media. So um, I think in the long run, I'd probably be partially based in Sydney doing that sort of media stuff until, you know, I could, we could be a bit more permanently at Scone. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, the Your partner, Simon, he played Aussie rugby sevens as well. And I think he's just recently gone to 15s, hasn't he? Yeah. How is that like having that ability to talk shop at home and to really understand each other's passion and drive. It must be a really important thing. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, as I said before, we lean on each other a lot. Both of us have had um, a lot of injuries, a lot of ups and downs um, in the rugby industry. So I think um, we definitely lean on each other a lot. And as you said, I think I couldn't really imagine a partner that didn't understand it so you know we come home from training and um at the moment he's not signed with anyone so he's working full-time and training um with the shoot shield team so I come home and complain a little bit about how hard it is and then I kind of kick into reality at the fact that he doesn't get to do that anymore Mm -hmm. um so we kind of equal each other out a little bit but you know when it comes to rugby I go watch him every weekend and kind of give him tips here and there if I feel like (laughs) it he does the exact same to me so um yeah we kind of it kind of works hand in hand for both of us are you pretty good at taking feedback from each other? Um, I think it depends on how we're feeling that day. But, yeah, usually depending if it's um, pretty brutal or not, but we kind of ease it in a little bit and we're not too harsh on each other, especially because we both understand so well. So if I'm saying something, he already knows it and vice versa. So we try not to push each other's buttons too much. <laughs> Hard to do. Uh, yes. you, so growing up uh, uh, just outside Glen Morgan, you went to the local tiny town was sport always a massive aspect of your childhood yeah massive and I think um another moment that I absolutely love mum and dad for is I guess giving me the opportunity to play so much sport I think we started with um what was it like tar and district trials and things like that where they just constantly had to drive me everywhere and it was probably a minimum hour or two hours um you know away from Glen Morgan I and I think every fair um country family would understand it but just the time um that mum and dad always put into me and my my siblings as well I think I'll never be able to thank them enough especially because that would have been what kind of got me here I was able to play every sport under the sun um even as a you know seven eight year old I could do whatever I wanted and dad kind of said to me when I was I think going to high school and he he kind of said he's like you know one day you're going to have to pick a sport you know you can't just do everything all the time do whatever you want and I was like, oh, it's fine. Like, I'm, I'm pretty happy doing what, like, you know, everything I can. And you kind of, life gets busy and schooling becomes more important and things like that. So he was, um, he was very right. But I think um, I'll never be able to thank them enough for, you know, everything they did, all the travel, all the opportunities they gave me, um, which realistically led me to an Australian team and living in Sydney. Mm, it is difficult for those living remotely to have access to those opportunities. What were some of the pathways that really defined, I guess, where you have got to now? And what do you suggest to parents living in the bush listening to this who might have a kid who's pretty talented or just very passionate? Yeah, I think, um, I think, I know, sporting kids, you can um, either understand their passion for the sport or their talent or, you know, or they have both. So um, pretty young um at a pretty young age. So I think I'd just advise parents to kind of put everything into it if they could, you know, if they had the opportunity. I know things are expensive and things like that, but 
um, I think in the long run, the opportunities are so worth it. And I think mum and dad definitely look back now and they get to travel overseas with me and watch me play and so do my siblings. And I think that's kind of, I'd hope it's a little bit of a reward for the effort they put in um, so young. And even though mum and dad gave me the opportunities, you know, the pathways are so little as um, primary schools, but they were still there. You know, we had the Glen Morgan versus Surratt and me and Dara, but then we had Taran District and you drove somewhere else and then there was Darling Downs. And, um, you know, that's just getting stronger and stronger every year. Um, and then, you know, you can make the Queensland team and the Australian team and um, it's a pretty quick pathway. So I think I'd, I'd urge parents to, you know, push if they if, if the children are happy enough and passionate enough to push, you know, push those lines and make make the most of those pathways because, um, I think it's a little bit evident that, you know, you can get somewhere if you do work, you know, put the effort in and work hard um, as a younger child, especially in primary school, going into high school. Yeah, that's interesting. So do you think that it's really important to be pushing that in primary school as opposed to waiting to high school? Um, I, it's funny, like I played sport, as I said, my whole life, but I didn't start rugby until I was 15, 16. So you know, I, I can't necessarily say, um, you know, start younger, but I think if the opportunities are there and um, the effort and energy and things are there from both the child and the parent, that's super important. And if, um, you know, if you're happy enough to, like my parents were, definitely push that. But um, also I think they've got to want to do it. You know, it's a big effort for parents and they've got to show that they're, um, I guess, dedicated to, you know, going to play touch for DD or doing something or running, you know, running well at cross country or, you know, showing that that talent's there. Um, so then the, I guess um, the effort's also there from the parents. But um, I think high school probably is where the more opportunities are. So, you know, as Dad said, figure out what you want to do and go for it kind of thing. Mm. Playing all the sports under the sun, it makes me wonder, do you think that it's important to specialise or generalise from a young age? Like, for example, Federer obviously played every sport under the sun before niching into tennis as a later in as a teen, whereas as opposed to Tiger Woods, who was playing golf basically in nappies. So it's yeah. interesting to think um, for those who want to go to elite or who think that that might be in their future, do you think that it's important for parents to encourage kids to to specialise early or do you think having that general aptitude to play a lot of different sports and to hone their athleticism is important? I think um, specifically for rugby sevens, it's pretty um, important just to be generally you know, sporty and athletic, you know, we, you've kind of got to be fast, you've got to be fit, your ball skills have to be good. But so many of our girls came from netball, basketball, um, a lot of girls played hockey, things like that. So I think um, it's very important to be generalised as a young child. And I think it's too much pressure as well to, from a, as a, say, 10 to 12 year old, be like, oh, come on, you need to be a good swimmer. That's all, you know, you're good at swimming. So just do swimming kind of thing. Or, you know, let's, take it to the next level in the netball but so many other skills can help that I guess that child be better at at netball even if they're playing multiple sports so I think um the more generalized it is the more fun they'll have as well they're not just so focused on oh I'm going to be an elite netballer and this is all I want to do you know you you get to go have fun at cross-country carnivals and and they're going to be good because they're athletic so I think it's really important to enjoy those moments of playing everything Mm -hmm. and when it comes to it get a little tickle up the ribs and a reminder from your parents of one day you're going to have to choose something and that's kind of you know when you get leading into high school you make that decision. Mm, and avoiding burnout probably is, is a really important thing. And just RSI, like injuries from just doing things too specific from too young. So you went yeah. to boarding school. What was that like going from living bush to to being in a completely different environment? 
Yeah, it was um, it was obviously very different. And as I said before, just minimizing how much time we had with our parents and camp drafting especially. But um, again, they made time to come and pick us up and take us to Allura and things like that. Um, but I was really lucky to have my older sister there to, who kind of led the way for me. Um, but I've always said to mum and dad, if I ever looked back at my boarding school life and things like that, I put so much effort into sport and I don't regret that, but I do know that I was there for school and I didn't necessarily prioritize that. So that's probably one thing I, I always let um, students or younger people know than me that it is really important to have a good education and that's why my parents sent me there it wasn't to be good at sport as even though that kind of came with it so I think if I went back there'd be a whole lot more time and effort putting into my education and my schooling um and my sporting would have flowed from there um because I changed schools in year 12 and went to Toowoomba and education was a massive focus of mine and my sporting kind of just followed in the path and it was I was also very successful in my sporting. So I think it kind of goes hand in hand, but it's definitely something I'd, if I ever went back as a child going year eight, year nine, obviously 10, year 10, 11 and 12 are far more important, but it's just, I'd put a lot more focus into that. Mm, And also having that backup plan. I mean, if sport doesn't work out, you want to have that piece of paper behind you probably. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was, as soon as I left school, I um, applied for uni and made sure that um, I guess my two options were either going home, working for mum and dad or going up north. And I that was super ideal for me um, for my whole lifestyle. And then all of a sudden rugby kind of kicked in. And if I had have done that path, I would never be where I am now. So I moved to the Gold Coast with my sister, um, played rough, trained rugby, kind of put a lot of effort into that and studied. So to make sure, because I know, I know careers finish early. You always see rugby league boys and things like that. They kind of spiral once they're career finishes and they're lucky they get to finish when they're 35 plus you know girls or women have to make I guess a family decision and what age that is and things like that so I always knew that um, what I studied was going to be really important when I finish it was going to be important at what age sorry Um, and then you know when I'd want to finish my career so having something as you said a piece of paper behind me to be able to move into something else not just relying on either a property at home or just my sporting talent to get me through life. Such a sliding doors moment, Demi, to choose either going up north and working as a Jillaroo or, or moving to the coast and pursuing rugby. I mean, are there some times when you think, God, my life would just be so different if I'd gone that direction? Yeah, so different. And I like, I honestly can't really even imagine it now because I'm, you know, seven years in, um, I knew that I loved the country and I can always go up there later in life, you know, with a family and I don't know, I'd love to go back to the Northern Territory. We have an auntie and uncle up there, but I think it's just, it wasn't the right time for me to go and do that and pursue being a Jillaroo, um, even though I do see the fun and how exciting it is, but it's hard work as well, just like what I'm doing here. So um, I am obviously really happy that I chose to stay um, and I kind of think there's always an opportunity to go back up there another Mm. day. Mm, totally. It was interesting what you were saying. And I guess I hadn't really crossed my mind about um, as a woman having to choose between your career and your family uh, relatively early or much earlier than men per, per se. Is that something that you talk about as a team or you've watched uh, older athletes and, and seen how they've navigated that? Is that something that you've kind of received mentoring in or it's just something that you've thought about? Um, I guess it's something our team's always spoken about a little bit. Um we had a lot of challenges going through our CBA and getting that finalised in our as a rugby sevens women's program and having a pregnancy policy put in because um, 
there was a few issues with um, an ex-player having a baby, not not having no one to babysit, not not being able to afford a babysitter, having to bring the baby into training and just it was an absolute schmozzle. So I think that was super important for all of us. I think I was 21 at the time. So, you know, having a family then was um, not on my mind at all, but just the importance of having the girls supported and when they chose to have a child um, that that, decision was supported and they'll still have a contract we'll still get maternity leave you go on maternity leave your their bodies are looked after and they come back at the right time um Mm. that's you know supported by our team doctor um and a gynecologist kind of thing or an obstetrician so that was really important and even I think having a sporting partner um as Simon I think earlier in our relationship he was kind of like oh you know I'll play until I'm 35 like oh that's good and well like I'd love to play until I'm 35 you know but life doesn't really go like that. And I was, it was probably a bit of a sour moment from my behalf where Mm. I was nearly the only one who dated another athlete, you know, and very quickly he's like, Oh no, I understand. Cause he wants a family before he's 35. So why do I have to make that decision? Mm. Because it's my body and it's our family and things like that. So that was definitely a bit of a realization, I think. And don't get me wrong. I would not play until I'm 35. It's physically probably impossible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, I think I also, I love playing rugby and my career is so important to me, but I also, um, as I said to you before, there's so many other things outside of my career that are important. And that's, you know, if that's having a family in five years or owning a property and going back and camp drafting and creating a life in that side of things or traveling before we have children, you know, I always look outside the box and get really excited about what else there is beyond my career so um yeah that's really important for I guess Simon and I as well yeah and it would have to be so important because you see so many athletes who retire and that was their life and purpose and meaning and then you know things kind of turn yeah exactly and I think um I'm obviously very lucky to be still be contracted and everything but I guess that's kind of what happened to Simon you know he COVID hit he got he did his third ACL everything just spiraled, you know, and he wasn't supported by a rugby team anymore. Obviously COVID just demolished everything. So, Mm. and he's been lucky enough to, I guess, have the support of me and his family and be studying. So, you know, he's fully supported, but as you said, there's so many people that don't have that plan and I'm, I'm a big planner. So I like to know what I'm doing. So in terms of pay for, you wouldn't have time around training and and competing to work full-time job so how did how does that work and how do you get by yeah so we um I've been really lucky I was on the minimum contract from when I moved to Sydney um very tough expensive um rent situation obviously in Sydney is crazy um but I'm yeah I've been on a full-time contract from the age of 17 I think so um I'm fully as as you said I'm a full-time contract I get paid all day every day even through you know I don't need sick leave or anything like that it's all just kind of in, is encountered in my in my contract um and then we're also really lucky we get government it's performance based but we get government money so it's it's very much a reward of you know winning the tournament or and things like that and that's from the Australian government so that's obviously a big boost um for us as well and then during COVID I did a lot of coaching I'm really passionate obviously um, helping young kids play rugby and young girls specifically so I went and coached at a um, a girls school in Sydney a really nice girls school in Sydney so that was really nice but yeah at at the moment we just don't have time and it's so um, I guess our days are so big and fatiguing that it's really hard to have any other job and we are so lucky that we're fully funded and fully supported 
so that we don't have to do that, I guess. Mm. What is your, what is a regular training day? What does that look like for you guys when you're not injured? Um, Yeah, at the moment. So we're in like a off season, pre-season kind of thing. So at the moment, our days start at about 5.30 a.m. and are going until about 12.31. Um, But our our normal days start at around 6.37. We have this thing called check-in where you just check in your body, your body weight, uh, make sure everything's okay. You see the physio um, and then you get into personal. Oh, sorry, we'll do a skills session in the indoor room, which will go for 20 minutes, just specific skills, whatever that may be, tackling, whatever. Um, and then we'll go down to the field for probably two hours um, and just run through plays, do a lot of conditioning. We run around six, seven K in a session. So we'll be out on the field for quite a while, whether that's just conditioning games and passing the football or just straight line, really, really exciting running. Um, come back in, we'll do a bit of a review. All of our sessions get videoed, so we'll be able to jump on the computer, um, watch specifically what I've done well and what I've done poorly and as a group, and we'll collectively review that and talk about that in a meeting. Um, and then we go into about an hour and a half to our gym session, which has various exercises and whatnot, um, and sometimes we'll do another skill session. And then some days we have two field sessions, um, so one in the morning, one in the afternoon. So some days kind of go until 6 p.m., other days finish around 2, 3. Um, and then we've kind of added in Pilates of late. So it's all um, very exhausting, um, yeah. but it's, um, yeah, just big days. That's massive. <laughs> and, like, are you, you're very passionate about, I guess, body image and talking about that. And I read a really interesting piece in Body and Soul um, where you spoke about how strong is the new feminine. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I think um, obviously rugby players, we kind of looked at a little bit differently, whether we, I don't know, look butch or big or I don't know. And um, I'm a forward, so I'm quite a little forward. So I think just around body image and understanding what is best for my role. So my career in the next three years is important for me to not specifically look a certain way, but I need to perform, whether that's being heavier, stronger, fitter, faster, whatever that may mean and however that may look, that's specific for my career to be the best performer I can be kind of thing. So I think, and that's collectively as our whole group, we've always tried to really encourage the fact that you're we're not a supermodel, we're beautiful women who play rugby, we can do both but we're strong and powerful and that's the job we do right now. So I think we get a fair few comments around, oh, we like having big shoulders or big legs or big bums and whatever, things that are so specific to being good at our jobs. But mm. I think we just, um, I don't know, love showing people that you look a certain way because we're doing a certain thing. So I don't know, it's so, we do so much exercise and so many weights that you can't not look like that. And we're not butch because of it. We're just strong, powerful beautiful women as well. Mm, I love that message. I think that's just so important. You started playing rugby at 16. Do you remember what it was about that first game that just kind of lit the fire? A little bit. Even now, like I think just the adrenaline of being able to make tackles and running and it's fast and you don't get time to think. So I think like just the fact that you're here, you're there, you're everywhere, you know, you're tackling and then you get a turnover and then all of a sudden we can score a try. Like just the how fast and exciting it is has always been um, a big part of how much I've loved the game. And even now, like we train so hard when we win, it's obviously the massive, a massive reward. And then 
all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're with your team, you get to go out, you get to party, you get to have so much fun and celebrate. And then we do it all again. You know, lots of people ask how and why we'd continue to do this, but it's, you know, how can you not with how, how fun it is? It's bloody hard work. Don't get me wrong. If you, I think if people came and physically watched our sessions, they'd nearly die. Yeah. But, I um, died just listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even then, you know, like it's such a rewarding sport and being able to play for your country, for your family, having mum and dad over there is literally the pinnacle of, you know, why I do it. So I think the rewards bigger than the process. Mm, that's really, yeah, that's so interesting. So you have been playing, I suppose, uh, look, well, you you made your debut nationally just before Rio, but didn't play in Rio. And I think Rio yeah. really kind of marked a, a change in the national narrative around women's rugby, where it, it really kind of became part of the consciousness of our national sport, sporting identity. Have you noticed that over your career and the response to women's rugby changing? Yeah, massively. I think um, obviously I, as you said, I made my debut before Rio, but I wasn't in the squad. It was um, to rest a bunch of players and a few people got to make their debut. So I was obviously very, very fortunate to be able to do that. And I came in post post Rio full time. Um, and as you said, just the absolute change in Australia, the the way people looked at the game of women's rugby sevens was amazing. Mm-hmm. The funding that got put towards it, you know, the minimum pay went up a certain amount and the top girls could be paid even more. We were funded by the Australian Institute of Sport way more. So everything, it's you, you expect it, but everything's based on performance. And the fact yes. that the girls won gold um, and were continually um, great at their game and winning um, made such a big difference in that next generation of girls and even now I think you know you go to you go to schools or or you have an open training session and you see girls know your name and want to talk to you and get photos and things like that and it just is so exciting how many people watch it and pay attention to it and want to play the game just because you're doing it is is another such a rewarding thing it must does it kind of weigh on you though because it is so critical to perform well to then get that funding and to get the 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 mainstream exposure is that something that kind of sits behind your subconscious yeah a little bit I think um it is obviously so important but in the end you can't that can't be the main focus point you know our process is so important for us when we when it comes to playing so we you know need to make sure that we're performing but not have that in the back of our minds we're like oh we won't get paid this or you know there won't be funding for the next generation and even though that is a very vital part of you know we're paving the way for younger girls and girls have done that for me in the past but we know that if we do our job we will end up getting that so I think if like you subconsciously know it but don't um, rely on it is important yeah totally you 2022 was such a huge year for you guys with the world um, rugby seven series and the world cup sevens and the commonwealth games I mean what what has been a highlight is there anything that has blown your mind that you kind of, when the days are hard, you think back to or, yeah, I'd love to know. Yeah, I think um, with you just saying that, you know, we won, we called it a triple crown. So we, um, every year or every um, season we have, we kind of highlight and, you know, what sort of season we're having, you know. So um, we looked at the year, we know, we knew that we, there was a triple crown up for grabs and that's just what we named it as a team. So we had the World Series, we were winning um, earlier in the season. We know that we, I think we had a goal of we had to get first and second or third in the next two. So we knew what we needed to do to win the series. And then we had the Commonwealth Games and World Cup. And I think with the team, 
that we had and how well it was performing. It was something no, no other team's ever done. So we that was such an awesome goal for us to have. And even looking back now, as you said, when, when stuff gets hard or training gets hard, you look back and you go, how good was that? And like my parents were there, or both of them. And where um, was that? Sorry, where were the big games? Um, so Commonwealth Games was in Birmingham in England and Cape, and the World Cup was in Cape Town. So they made them to both of those. We won the World Series in Canada, but we still had Toulouse to play. So we had a bit of a celebration in Paris after Canada went to Toulouse and we'd already secured that. So that was awesome. But in the semi-final. We played pretty badly in a pool game in the at the Commonwealth Games and end up losing. So then in the semi final we end up crossing with New Zealand, which is obviously um, make or break. Um, and this is probably the one of the most exciting games, feelings, everything that I've ever felt in my life was winning against New Zealand in the semi final. Um, to then know we had it, it was just a, a feeling that we were all celebrated. It's the biggest celebration we've ever had on a field knowing that whoever we had next, we'd, we had it. We had so much confidence in each other and the group that it was nearly secured in our mind, even though we knew we had a job to do. So mm. winning that was absolutely amazing, just the best celebration ever. And then I think the, the confidence and everything just led on. We only had a few more months till the World Cup. And again, we were just on a, a big high. We kind of knew we could perform, but we, we knew we had to do the hard work. And we were actually really lucky in the final against New Zealand. A missed kick conversion from New Zealand won us the game. So we shouldn't have let it come to a decision out of our hands, but just to win the triple in that year was absolutely amazing. Oh, my God, the euphoria must have been wild. <laughs> yeah. It was so good. And I think just like Cape Town's an amazing rugby atmosphere. And as I said, to have a lot of our family and friends there to celebrate with us um, and to win the third one of the year was really cool. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. And so now knuckling down in for the Olympic season, I mean, you obviously would love to bring home the gold, but what is the aim and how do you keep the team camaraderie together? Is that from your from a coaching perspective or from working as a mindset perspective? Is it does that happen off the field to kind of keep that confidence going leading into 2024? Yeah, I think for the group, we have um, every so often, I guess, the group changes. You know, people retire, new people come in. And I think the group we have at the moment is very much get everything right off the field, feeling good. They actually want to come to training and perform at training is a big one. So I think just not staying fresh, but getting a good understanding of where everyone's at individually. We're coming to training, we're performing, we're going home. And that's that's the day we ticked it off. That's just the process we, we're kind of running by, I think. And that's super, I think that'll be really important leading into next year. It's still a long way away, mm. but knowing when to have a break, when to have a week off here and there, when do we really need a performance out of us at training to get ready for games and things like that. But our team is heavily based performance wise off the field. So, you know, if we have, you know, a weekend away as a group, go celebrate, go do whatever, just to bring that camaraderie back up. I think that's really important and that'll lead us well into the Olympics next year. Yeah, I just think always with Olympic athletes, like the stamina mentally to get there over a four-year period or sometimes an eight-year period when they missed yeah. it in COVID, that just, it just seems like so grueling to keep that morale high. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, how they talk about um, peak performing, sorry, peaking for the Olympics and swimmers have to do so many races to peak at the Olympics, which I just find absolutely crazy. 
Yeah. Whereas we, you know, I think our our staff are really good at knowing, okay, so if we peak early next year, say at Sydney Sevens next year, and if we peak then we win then, and then we have the same process for the next six months leading into Paris Olympics, then that will be perfect. We'll have a down pat, we'll know what we're doing. So they're really good at kind of knowing the ups and downs and some weeks they might, you know, write a note and be like, this might be a down week, everyone's fatigued, tired, but we've got to get it through, get through it. And then everyone can go away up for a week and have completely week off come back, we go again. So mm. I think that's really important for our team and our, our staff, as I said, our coaches, our SNC, our physio are really good at, um, I guess, understanding and like understanding social cues of, oh, it's not going great this time or, you know, people are pretty fatigued and it's been a long couple of months of training and just because we don't play so much, it's just train, train, train and train, train. So we need a reward. If it's not playing, it's a, it's time off. If, if it's not time off, it's maybe going on a, pre-season camping to Queensland or you know to Orange or something where something changes and it's exciting I think um will help us secure that really good routine Mm. yeah god there's so much strategy behind it uh it Mm. just makes me think of Ted Lasso (laughs) (laughs) yes for you you know you have captained and co-captained the team how would you describe your leadership style and do you think that leadership style was in some way kind of shaped by your upbringing in the bush? Yeah, I definitely think so. I um, I guess I never really looked at myself as a leader, even though I guess I was quite a dominant athlete. Um, you know, my sister was the captain of our school touch team and I really hated it because I was dominant and obviously wanted to listen to myself <laughs> and no one else. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, mum and dad would have shaped my leadership, my siblings, um, my upbringing, and as I said, dominance in all sports I played, but I'm not a super vocal, um, I'm a big talker on the field and director, but I'm not necessarily a vocal person where I'll yell at someone for doing something or or whatnot. I'm very much a, oh, we've got fitness, I'm going to lead the fitness and lead by example or, you know, on a weekend if we're doing recovery, instead of going out, I'll make sure I lead, you know, lead by example, I guess, and show people the right way leading into a tournament and things like that. So I'm a big, I'm very performance-based and, yeah, I'm a very much lead by example, show people that are 18, 18, 19, the youngest girls in our squad that this is what I do before performance and that the coaches back me, not necessarily a vocal mm. um, speaker, which is where I think, you know, Charlotte Cassick is the other co-captain where we probably we work hand in hand there where we um we good we work well together because of that I think but mum and dad definitely did shape that leadership I think Mm, yeah it's uh, yeah it's really interesting Demi it's just been unreal to chat and to get an insight into your life and your background and also into the future of the pearls which is very exciting we can't (laughs) wait to watch you on the pitch next year and um and all the best with your injury recovery I hope it's smooth and healing Thank you. Me too. Thanks so much for having me. I've loved the discussion around women's rugby change over the last couple of years. The sheer athleticism, big tackles and fast pace makes it such an awesome game to watch. And when the talent is homegrown in outback soil, there's something just that little more special for viewers from the bush. We can't wait to watch the Pearls take to the world stage next year in Paris and whatever the outcome, they're all green and gold winners in our eyes. And after hearing about what an average training day entails, all I can say is they deserve their success. I honestly felt exhausted just hearing about it. The latest issue of Grazy Her is on sale right now. 
I have a piece in this issue as part of our series on women's health in the bush and spoke to some incredibly generous and courageous women from around country Australia about their experience of losing a child at birth. If you don't have a news agents near you, you can always jump online to grazyherd.com.au to purchase a copy or consider subscribing. We have a current subscription offer of a pair of stunning iris and wool gloves to keep your mitts warm when you walk to the mailbox six times a year on Grazy Herd Delivery Day. Please consider subscribing, rating and reviewing Life on the Land if you have a jot of time. It only takes a minute and makes such a difference to others being able to find us. And if you know of someone who might get a kick out of this episode, send it to them. Let's inspire that next generation of Rugby 7 women players. Help share the Grazy Her word and keep us telling these extraordinary stories. Until next time, keep well. My name is Em Herbert and this is a Grazy Her podcast.